This is the Coogee Base Special, a crisis management podcast brought to you by Trevor Shea Pivot. My name is Garth Callender, and each episode I'm going to take you on a journey to explore crises from Australia and around the globe. We're going to unpack them a little to understand what triggered them, what the impact has been, not just for the organisation, but often the industry sector and beyond. And most importantly, we're going to look at what lessons we can learn from them. Thanks for joining us. In this episode, Marley Walchuk and I look at the rather ghoulish circumstances that surrounded the 2005 crisis involving Wendy's restaurant chain in the US. When a human finger is found in a bowl of chili, Wendy's management seemed hell-bent on finding the finger's owner. At the expense, it appears, of the broader strategic goals of the organisation. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Welcome. Oh, it's nice to be back. Excellent. So I know what we're going to discuss today, and uh, I'm excited about this because I find this story fascinating and, mor- fascinating and morbid and exciting for some odd reason of which I can't explain. Anyway, what I was wondering is, how on earth did you get involved in crisis management? In a roundabout way is the um, is the short answer. But, uh, Marley, as you know, I, I spent a lot of time uh, in the military. Um, I spent, in fact, I, I still throw in uniform every now and then and masquerade as an army officer. But, um, but particularly during that that period um, of when I was in the in the full time military, I spent a couple of years at uh, at Townsville up on the the, the North Queensland coast uh, at a place they call the combat training center and my job was to d- develop training and assist in the training of leadership teams in their final preparation before they went to Iraq or Afghanistan and basically we, we, we'd put them through every conceivable scenario that we thought they would face when they went over there so it was really all about decision making under a lot of pressure and when I left the military, I spent a bit of time in, in, in different roles, some of it in specific crisis management roles, but it's taken, took about five years for me to work out all the, that all those lessons and, and that, that experience that I'd had training, how I could convert that to civilian organizations. Because to be honest, the thing which really stuck in my mind was that the, the leadership teams that did really well were the ones that had a decision-making process, a well-drilled decision-making process that everyone understood. And so I've, I've brought that to the to civilian organisations, be it private, not-for-profit or, or public sector. But, and I'd really like, you know, it's, maybe I've got my head in the clouds a bit, but I'd, I'd really like to shift the way Australian organisations, Australian businesses view crisis management and change the way they make short-notice decisions. Um, decisions where they don't have all the information they'd like and there's real-time pressures on them to make those decisions. My experiences, particularly in the corporate world, have showed me that there's some highly intelligent, highly educated people out there that really struggle to make decisions in in compressed timeframes. They, yeah. they're, they're people that, you know, their normal decision-making process is over a three-week timeline and they have about 98% of information they'd like. But... If your face is on the front page of the Australian, if your police are ringing on the police and the media are on the phone, if there's a crowd at the front gate, um, you, you don't have that that luxury. So it's um, it's getting people's head around and and giving people a level of comfort with 
making those decisions really un, under duress. So that's really what that's what drives me. That's what what got me involved in in the crisis management field. And and I, I like telling these stories, like we're doing these crisis management case studies. Uh, kind of gets back to that adage that those that don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Um, so I'm hoping that people can take away some lessons from from these stories. This is a more lighthearted story here, so I, so I'll start with something a bit more lighthearted, which is which is the name for these podcasts. So we, we've we've called them the Coogee Bay Special, a crisis management podcast. The story behind that is is eleven years ago. In fact, eleven years ago, nearly to the day, a a family, the mother in particular, was served uh, ice cream at the Coogee Bay Hotel, and uh, one of the scoops in that ice cream was actually human poo. Um, and I say, you know, you ne- you never know when you're going to find a poop in your ice cream. Um, you know, here's that for analogy. Or, I'll talk a little bit more about the Coogee Bay um, incident, but th- there's in line with that. There's there's another saying which is you never know when a cow's going to fall from the sky and sink your ship. Um, right. Okay. So the urban myth, well, urban myth, the myth behind that is that um, there were these Japanese fishermen that were pulled out of the water after their their boat had sunk. They were questioned about what happened to the boat, and they said this cow fell out of the sky and smashed through the boat, and it sank. And everyone thought they were crazy. And the end result was that they actually worked out that they had a, a, a Russian military uh, air crew confess to saying, yeah, well, actually, we'd, we'd pinched some cattle off the side of a runway when we were taking off from this deserted strip and then got up in the air over the ocean and these cattle started going berserk and we hadn't we hadn't restrained them in any way. And so they were, they were going to smash the inside of the, the aircraft and we were going to potentially crash. So we dropped the ramp at the back and all the cattle ran off. Um, oh. And the, oh. the thinking is that one of these cows hit the Japanese boat. <laughs> hence, the, hence the saying, you know, um, you never know when a cow's going to fall from the sky and sink your ship. Um, right. Got it. Getting it. back to Coogee Bay, um, the, the story was that, that from all accounts, it doesn't sound like there were very nice people involved on either side. So a woman made some comments about the price of the ice cream at the Coogee Bay Hotel, which is a... You've you've been there, Marley. When you're when you're in Australia, it's a, it's a lovely spot down and a very yes. touristy um, spot, but a lovely spot down. Just uh, what the beach down from Manly uh, from Manly from Bondi Beach uh, mm-hmm. on uh, the east the eastern suburbs of Sydney. Pretty fancy restaurant. And they just spent a lot of money doing it up as well. Woman made some comments about I think it was a ni- a nineteen dollar bowl of ice cream. Some of the staff took exception to that comment. So they devised a plan that one of them would poo in the ice cream and they'd give that to her. Um, and she I can't remember if she'd actually taken a bite of it, but um, oh. she got she got pretty intimate with it. Uh, and yes. the end, when you look at that, uh, so that had nothing to do with you know, the, the owner or probably the executives of, of who, who run the hotel. However, that's something that could sink an organisation. If suddenly you have... You know, you'd have issues with the regulator around food safety. You yeah. have, there was significant adverse media uh, around it. You know, there'd be a lot of people, you know, you lost the public trust. So there'd be people say, well, I'm not going to that restaurant. I'm, I know what they do with that ice cream. So the, the end result, it was settled out of court. And I think there was some confidentially around it. But uh, the end result was, I think, about $50,000 changed hands between the, the hotel and the the family involved uh yeah. but um but i, I think, think that's just a 
uh, yeah, a somewhat lighthearted one um, to yeah. to name the podcast after. Uh, yes. So, <laughs> which <laughs> which I guess you know gets us into. Well, that's not quite product tampering. Uh, well, it sort of maybe, is. Maybe. <laughs> In some uh, way. Uh, it's hard to put words to that one, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't quite fit in with the same, you know, with the strawberry industry in Australia or the Arnott's Biscuits incidents, which we which we discussed right. in the first podcast. So, yeah, so maybe... this is connected with Wendy's, correct? The Right. Uh, yes. Found a, was it a woman that found a severed finger in the chili? Yeah. And maybe we'll take a step back because um, Wendy's in Australia is probably quite different to Wendy's in North Amer- North America. We uh, Wendy's does does hot dogs and I don't know maybe donuts. Uh, oh. That's about it. You don't, you don't go there for a hamburger. Um, oh, you're right. It's totally different. Yeah. So yeah, Wendy's. Now you correct me if I'm wrong here, but Wendy's in the in the US is a is restaurant chain. Uh, you go there for you might go there for a meal. And they have, they serve hamburgers, but they also serve bowls of chili. And again, yes. that's not something Australians are particularly familiar with. We do have chili con carne if we're going to have tacos or something like that, but it's it's not something you'd ever go anywhere and buy a tub of. Okay, interesting. Where is it? Yeah, it's very popular here. Right. Absolutely, great crowd pleaser. <laughs> right. Cheap, yeah. And I think Wendy's Wendy's sold it fairly cheaply. But it wasn't their staple offering. So they, they made okay. most of their money off, off selling hamburgers, but they were quite well known for cups of, of chili. And uh, I guess it's probably like McDonald's here. Um, they get people in with the 30-cent ice cream cones. They won't make any money off them, but the expectation is that people will buy a meal. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, look, so I, I guess in stark contrast, contrast to what we spoke about previously with the Arnott's case, the the Wendy's restaurant case is probably a case study of what not to do. Um, okay. A lot of things they handled really poorly. So the background was um, in March 2005, a female in one of the Wendy's restaurants, so it was San Jose in California. The, the stories I've heard is she, you know, started all this carry-on and started wailing and crying and, you know, dry-reaching and stuff. And there were stories that she was vomiting as well, but that they're unsubstantiated claiming that this this tub of chili that she'd bought, she'd been eating and bit into a human finger in oh. the tub of chili. So really pretty grisly stuff. Um, yeah. Initially, Wendy's handled it quite well. So they, they're a franchisee chain, really. So they, they took the management of the incident almost instantly off the franchisee, took it to head office, and yep. head office basically went, well, right, we need to work out if this was one of our workers that lost a finger because we need to fix this. So we need to work out how it happened. So interestingly, what they did was got all the managers throughout their restaurants and supply chain to get them, their employees to show them their hands. So to say, to show them that they've got 10 fingers. Um, thought. <laughs> we, yeah. So, you know, yeah. pragmatic, simple. Yeah. And what they what they determined was that everyone had their fingers and they hadn't lost it during the production of the chili, uh, either in their supply through, through their supply chain or at, at the restaurant itself. So they, so they discounted that, that, that fact. Um, but they could have stopped there and then focused on protecting the brand 
reassuring customers, being seen as transparent and decisive, and also exactly. supporting the victim. Um, exactly. Uh, so, but they didn't. They didn't do that particularly well. They went down a bit of a rabbit warren with it. They got some forensic experts in to test the finger. Okay. That came came back and said uh, that the finger wasn't consistent with being cooked for three or four hours at this temperature. So again, it confirmed what they'd already knew, which was that it it hadn't been through the through the process in the in the Wendy's chili making. <laughs> yes, whatever that process is. <laughs> um, yeah. So it happened after. Well, they 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 set up a phone line. And again, the phone line was focused on people reporting where the finger might have come from. Yeah, and really they were doing a lot of the police work uh, themselves, just chasing this finger. So what really what became obvious here is that they hadn't planned for a food contamination incident. And in fact, maybe that's the right thing to call it for um, for the Coogee Bay thing, food contamination incident. Wow. Um, so therefore, they didn't know what to do. They were just grabbing at straws and yeah. And look, if they if they had a crisis management plan, they definitely didn't follow it in any way. Um, yeah. They didn't set any clear strategic goals that they wanted to achieve, um, and their efforts were focused on determining the origins of the finger um, rather than actions to protect their organisation. They did a few other silly things as as it played out. You know, people stopped coming to the restaurant. Um, so they could have done things like taken chili off the menu. In fact, that would have been one of the first things they could do. So, look, we're sure it didn't come from us, but until we get this sorted out, chili's off the menu. Because the last thing you want people to be thinking is Wendy's chili severed finger. That's that, right. That doesn't, that doesn't get you hungry for dinner. Um, <laughs> it's not a good connection. No, oh. no. Uh, they also, because they had reduced number of clientele they started giving um their employees less shifts as well um so it was hurting the employees too whereas a lot of teaching will tell you around the crisis management stuff is is keep your employees on where the financial hit um of having people there where even though you don't need them get them involved in busy work whatever that is because right. they're the they're the, the heart and blood of your organization um so, but they they didn't do that. They started they started um, reducing people's shifts. Um, whilst that finger was the root cause of the crisis, it was actually the ongoing crisis in confidence in the public's mind, based on safety, cleanliness, and quality, which ended up being the true threat to Wendy's. So sales plummeted by about fifty percent, and at no time did the company take any proactive steps to reassure their their customers that it was safe to eat at their restaurants. Wrong. Yeah, so not not handled very well at, at, at all. So in the end, police investigations discovered that the woman who had filed the complaint had previously filed numerous lawsuits against various retail establishments. Um, wow. So she was, you know, this was a fictitious, fictitious, yeah, um, a vexatious lawsuit that which she was pushing forward. And they once they had enough facts to say. Yeah, uh, this this wasn't here. And when Finger started to point at her, she uh, she said, "Oh, oh, well, I'll withdraw the lawsuit." Um, and it got to the point where they went, "No, you don't." Um, so they yeah. they did go after her, 
and when it when it had become clear that she had put that severed finger in the cup in an effort to fraudulently sue Wendy's, uh, she was so about a year and a half later she was sentenced to nine years state prison. Her husband was was jailed as well for a much longer period of time, but sounds like they were a pretty interesting couple and they had a lot of other things going on as well. So he was jailed for that oh, and oh, and a few other things too. So he, um, from memory, it was he was in jail for about fifteen years. They were ordered to pay one hundred and seventy thousand to Wendy's employees for those lost wages, and right. also five hundred thousand to the franchise franchisee owners for the lost revenue. I would be surprised if anyone ever saw any of that money. Absolutely. But, Garth, I still don't know where the finger came from. It's always got to come back to the finger, yeah. So, yeah, it's pretty It's pretty ghoulish. What they ascertained was that the finger had come from the woman's husband's colleague who'd lost his finger in an industrial accident. Oh. That colleague had owed the husband money, uh, I think the sum of, of about $100. The oh. husband approached the colleague and said, how about I grab that finger off you and we'll just call it quits. We'll call it even with that hundred bucks. Wow. So the husband was very much in on it too. So they had, had this finger for a while. One of the reports that I read um, showed that maybe she wasn't quite as silly as they made out. You know, they did do tests to say that the finger hadn't been cooked for three hours in chili of this degrees, but right. they did go back to, they did say that it appeared that the finger had been cooked a bit. So she'd actually <laughs> chucked it in the fry pan or something for a little while. <laughs> Knowing, ah, oh, it's got to look like it's a bit cooked. Um, <laughs> wow. So, so the really? end result was, was, was Wendy's didn't, didn't take the hit, anywhere near the same hit that, that um, Arnott's did. Because you said it was only 175000 that they asked for, right? So, yeah, but, but in the end, Wendy's reported a $2.5 million loss in, in, in verifiable revenue. Okay. So, and you've got to remember these are franchisees across, across America as well. So, but the ongoing intangible, those ongoing losses and the intangible losses um, haven't been published and are probably exponentially higher and probably dif- difficult to, to really understand as well. Um, at the end of that, what, what is it, 15 years on, there will still be plenty of people, I'm sure, that will think of Wendy's and think of a wayward finger in a in a bowl of chili, and that's going to deter them from going there. Um, and us doing this podcast is probably not helping. Sort of. Yeah, I was going to say because I, I frequent that place. <laughs> <laughs> not anymore. Yeah, no, no, I do, I do love Wendy's. Um, now, what, what? So, what, in your opinion, did they get so wrong? Like we've talked about, you know, the communication aspect, the transparency. I mean, it, it did feel like they started out okay and then everything just kind of fell apart. So this has got all the hallmarks of just an, an, an ad hoc process. So just, just putting out spot fires as they arise um, mm-hmm. or, in this case, going down a rabbit hole, losing sight of that strategic objective. Uh, or, or the fact that they likely hadn't set any strategic objectives. I, I guess if you, you, you want to distill that down, what is it? So it's no crisis management plan or trained team. It didn't appear like they that they had a team to stand up in the first place, and if they had stood a team up, that team wouldn't have been prepared. Um, it's difficult to know what was happening internally to Wendy's, but you'd imagine if that was the case, even if that team did stand up, they would 
not be properly resourced. They may not have the year of senior management or the board. Um, so maybe they didn't have the right um, decision-making authority as well. Fundamentally, they didn't have a strategic focus and that caused them to go chasing that finger. And also, they, they missed they missed the fact that it shifted from a finger in a bowl of chili to an issue around the public not trusting them anymore, which is what it was. Right. So even though they'd even set up a, a consumer hotline, so they were talking to the public, they were mm. talking to the public about the finger, not not about uh, reassuring them and getting the, getting business back in. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's too bad they hadn't hunted Chris Roberts at that point in time. And well, that... yeah, he's. I mean, he's. <laughs> He's been a he's been a busy man um, ever since I think like we said so the, the yeah. former managing director of of, of Arnott's is, uh, I, I've been like I've met him a few times I met him uh, at uh, at an annual general meeting for uh, Amcor which he was on the board for so highly sought after guy but yeah he would have been pretty helpful in in this situation I'd imagine yes <laughs> well this this was a great story. I, I, I totally love it. Um, now, what are we going to talk about next? What's our next so, podcast? Um, so we've got, I want to do the Pepsi one because I think that's really interesting. So the hmm. syringe found in a in a, a can of uh, Diet Pepsi and how that snowballed into a series of copycat incidents um, and how Pepsi managed it, which was uh, unlike this and even unlike Arnott's, Pepsi went on the offensive. So they went, they went chasing people, and wow. whilst I I wouldn't always recommend that, it 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 worked really well. And not only did they they chase people, but they got the government regulators on board on their side to reassure the public and to do their prosecuting for them as well. So wow. it's a re- it's a really interesting one. And then I said I I I, I do want to touch on the. the the, the fashion industry in a podcast as well. So Dolce & Gabbana and Victoria's Secrets and the trouble they've got themselves into recently by letting their executives spruik their opinions on social media um, wow. and the, the impact that that's had on, on those two brands. Yeah, great. Can't wait. Ooh. Now, where can people learn more about um, you know recent incidents, um, how the crises were managed in those incidences? The uh, Trebuchet Web uh, Trebuchet Pivot website has um, recent short, sharp little case studies and snippets from the news around um, a crisis incident in, in Australia and across the globe. So it's www.trebuchetpivot.com and look for the the crisis news link. You can sign up to the websites from from that page. And if people want to get in touch with us, it's at uh, information at trebuchetpivot.com or, again, they can go through the website to uh, to get in touch. But, Marley, this has been a lot of fun. Um, it has. You know, I, I always said there's, you know, some sometimes with these crises they can be the most serious things in the world, but other ones it's uh, it, it helps to have a bit of a giggle about them as well, oh, particularly well, with a with a with a wayward finger in a bullet chili and yeah you can't trouble, trouble that, <laughs> that was awesome well thank you for all your information garth that was great wonderful thanks for your time okay we'll see you next time bye-bye